With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. For one more beer for me, exile means quality, so savagely. DHN Podcast, I'm John Miller, along with Steve Dace, following Iowa's very impressive 23 to nothing win against a Maryland team that came into this game averaging 245 yards rushing. They left averaging much less than that. They gained just 68 yards rushing in this game, 115 total yards. I'd say probably, I don't know, 20, 25, over 50 of those yards came on their last two drives. Um, almost half of the yardage production. They ran 39 plays in the game. They made it into Iowa territory for a total of two plays and never got beyond the Iowa 46-yard line. The 39 plays is the fewest an opponent has run in the Ferentz era. The 115 yards is the fewest a Big Ten opponent has run in the Ferentz era. Iowa had no turnovers. Steve, this, this, this defensive performance was probably the most dominating defensive performance by an Iowa team um, in the Ferentz era. I did not expect uh, Maryland to get stoned that much. Just an incredible, incredible performance by the Iowa defense. No doubt about it. And, you know, the win factor, um, I I don't think that had anything to do with Iowa's defensive performance at all. Maryland has been struggling throwing the ball. And, you know, this has been one of the better rushing teams in the country, except for really two games. And that's when they've played Michigan and Iowa. And those were two teams that uh, could beat them up in the trenches, which doesn't permit them to get out on the flanks with their jet sweeps and kind of their modified football version of a Princeton offense that Matt Canada likes to run. And you would think with the way that they're running the ball, they'd be able to throw it better. And his QBR for the season is 36. So you're talking about a guy that has – one of the better running games in the conference an experienced offensive line and it's funny there's only two teams in our league this year who have had three games where they were average yard per play differential three yards or better than their opponent in three games Michigan is one team and Maryland is the other but this was a case where you know they are doing a great job against the also Rans when they can use their speed and athleticism on the outside. But the two teams they played, and, you know, they kind of got Texas in a win-one for Jordan McNair scenario. I I think if they played again, even at that exact same stadium, they wouldn't win the game. But when they've played the two teams that could force them to play in a phone booth, Iowa being the latest, they got absolutely physically dominated. So uh, impressive effort for Iowa. And once again, 
once again, the sharp money going against the Hawkeyes did not come to fruition. You know, we're almost kind of getting into a situation now. Who is the betting character in The Natural that the dad from A Christmas Story played? He kept betting against Roy Hobbs, even when he was really hot. Yeah, yeah, Hobbs said, don't bet against me. He figured sooner or later, yeah, he goes, well, sooner or later, kid, the brakes will go against you, and it'll go my way, you know? And I wonder if the Sharps with Iowa now are just like economists who predict recessions, which is if you predict a recession every year, sooner or later you're going to be right because there's going to be one. And you could tell everybody, I predicted the recession of 2008, 2001, et cetera. And I wonder if the Sharps just going to keep going against Iowa in every one of these games and then just figure sooner or later they're going to say, yep, see, we pegged them. They were overrated all along. Uh, But this week the Sharps are on Iowa. Uh, They have lowered that spread against Penn State by a couple of points already from what I've seen. So um, if you like the old way Iowa used to play, then you loved the game against Maryland because that's what it's usually looked like with Kirk Ferentz. Yeah, I mean, Maryland, they had to put 147, 150 yards against Michigan. I think it was about four yards of carries, but you're right. Um, and you would have also thought in a game that By the way, basic- just, just to clarify that, that was like all in the last two drives of the fourth quarter when it was 42 to 14. Yeah, so, so it's pretty, you know, probably, probably similar numbers. Um, yep. So you're, you're talking about a situation in a game that if you come in as the 16th, top 15, top 16 rushing team in the country, and your and your opponent who has been leading with the pass and and actually has somewhat struggled to get their running game on track. You got to feel pretty good about that. If you're if you're back Canada and Maryland, you you would have taken that scenario before the game because Iowa has to basically play one handed, and you're used to playing one handed. So as much as I loved Iowa's defense in this game, and I did, it was the most dominant defensive performance of the Ferentz era, Iowa's ability to run the ball in this game also impressed me. Because, again, as we've seen this year, they haven't run as well as they'd like. Teams have been loading up on them. They've been taking away that outside zone to the point where I don't even want to see another one. And they did run the outside zone with some success this game. But this isn't, you know, this isn't your daddy's Iowa football team under Kirk Ferentz. Because they are running a lot of inside no. zone, a lot more inside zone, and they are running ISO trap. They are running gap on gap. They are doing a lot more work inside. Brian Ferentz is mixing this up, and that dovetails into your point about the the sharps and how they've been wrong about Iowa this year. I this this is different. This is just a different feel, and I hope it keeps going. And I kind of feel like Charlie Brown, Lucy's going to pull that football away at some point. But we have enough consistent number of games in the tank now and body of work that makes me sort of believe that this is this may be the future a little less predictable still running similar concepts still looking to be the bullies but not just relying on the outside zone all the time yeah i i like that description and and really the old football term for what you're describing is multiple and and that's where you have an identity you have a brand you are who you are, because you don't want to get into a situation where you're a jack of all trades, master of none either. Um, you want to have those bread and butter plays that you know you can go back to. But here's the thing, man. I mean, we're living in an era, John, when you and I started doing this in 2002. Pro football focus and analytics and all the things that exist now. Remember when I used to joke about, and I was half serious, the fact that I played so much NCAA football, I had run so many different offenses and schemes. I watched so many different teams 
that I thought I couldn't coach a team, but I could definitely call the plays like an offensive coordinator. Remember you used to rag on me for that? Uh, yeah, okay? yes, I, I, I do recall that. <laughs> well, nowadays, brother, with, with all the analytics out there and Hawkeye game film, and every school's got those kinds of sites now, you know, everybody knows what a red dog is now. I mean, everybody every everybody knows what a hot read is now, okay? It used to be the fans would sit in the stands or at home and say, well, they're going to run. We know every play. Oh, they're going to pass. Then, then it kind of evolved to, well, this will be a screen. Well, this will be a draw, okay? Now fans are all like, well, we know when they run that diamond formation over there, this is probably going to be a smoke route to the inside flanker. And if we can see it, the other team can – you see what I'm saying? This is all now – You've got to update your schemes. This is when we talk about the game passing certain people by, is there's a, there's always a small e evolution taking place, and we're in an era now where fans and it are and, and the like are and, and if we're more exposed to scouting concepts and things of that nature, what the hell do you think the guys who do this for a living and are living in in the coach's office full time with their livelihoods depending on it, what kind of tendencies and the like do you think they pick up on? And so look at look at Nick Saban. And and I'm going to use him because Ferentz comes from a, from a similar coaching tree. You know, for all the talk about his stodginess and his prickliness, you know, Nick Saban came up from the Belichick tree and and but he was always a 4-3 defensive guy or a 3-4 defensive guy, I'm sorry. He then realized, you know, we've got to get more pass rush. He changed his defensive philosophy at Alabama. He was more of a suffocate you on offense, play to your defense guy. Um, now they've got Tua Tonga Vailoa. And instead of, you know, just sitting out there saying, well, you know, we're going to use him on play action pass downs, they're running basically an air raid offense right now. I mean, Nick Saban, for all of his stodginess, and he's, you know, over, he's, po he's post 60, he has reinvented himself on both sides of the football in his career. He's had, you know, wholesale changes in his coaching staff at times that have that have required it, but he has been willing to make changes. And I think that's what that's, you know, it's a fine line just like we've talked in the past in the podcast here. There is a fine line between stubbornness and persistence. There's also a fine line between consistency and complacency. That just because you, you know, you don't change who you are from a values standpoint, but the same tactics and slogans that would have worked on the, you know, when Kirk Ferentz got here, we didn't even have, most people still didn't have the internet, John. Most people didn't know what a Wi-Fi was. Nobody had a T1 and you were still going, eh, you know, chatting on AOL 56 baud. Okay. <laughs> That was a great. That sounded just like it. It's you know what the difference between 1999 and 2019 is a hell of a lot different than the difference between 1979 and 1999. That's you and I's growing up era. We can attest to that, can we not? It's a hell yeah. of a lot different. Yeah. And so because of that, and because of the new awareness young people have, just the the stuff you used to say and do in eighty in, in ninety in ninety nine and two thousand five, isn't relevant right now. And you don't change your values, you don't change your identity, but you absolutely have to develop and evolve your tactics and your messaging. And and I just think the way Iowa was was willing to play is is one of the reasons why they've had one seat. What was it? They've had one season since '09, what before this year, where they finished in the top 25, right? That was 2015. 
I think it's one reason why they, we were just sitting here a few weeks ago talking about the fact they had had basically an entire season's worth of games versus the Power Five, and in eight of them, they didn't score more than 21 points. And, and I really do think during that bye week, I do think I think the, the son went to the dad. I really believe that uh, and said, you know what? So do we want to win championships here? Or are we happy going eight and four? Because if we want to win championships here, um, even with the, with the way we develop an offensive line, teams just don't let you run the ball on first down anymore. And you can see it when you watch teams like a Michigan or an Iowa that run more of a pro style. Every opponent on first down is running downhill all out all the time. It's just a matter of whether they've got two safeties under or one over. But everybody else within that box area is running downhill on first down. So it really comes down to do you really believe you, you, there aren't any Robert Gallery kind of offensive lines anymore in college football? No one, not even Alabama, blocks five, eight guys or nine guys with five on a regular basis. Hell, right now, Ohio State can't block four guys with five, let alone eight or nine. And nobody in our league recruits better than they do. So you better be willing to adapt. And if you don't adapt, you'll die. And, and when so when we talk in the past about the game passing coaches by, it's not that they forgot about how to coach football. It's not like they just woke up one day and said, well, hot damn, I... I I don't know what a veer is. I remembered last week. Does anybody know where my veer went? That's not what it is. It is they're just not willing to adapt. There's a system that they're accustomed to and used to, and they don't want to change. And this doesn't just happen. It happens in every industry. It happens in yours. happens in mine. People just don't want to adapt to how the, the, the ground has shifted and the environment has evolved. And what I've seen from Iowa the last few weeks is something we haven't seen a lot probably since they had to evolve in the, with, with, when you had all the injuries at running back and Drew Tate, and that's going on 15 years ago now, and that is an evolution. Iowa has figured out that there is a difference between persistence and stubbornness, and I think it's changed the total complexion of what they're capable of accomplishing this football season. I agree. I mean, really the formula for Iowa's best teams has been, you know, top 10 national champ championship caliber, caliber defense, which they've had that five, six times at least in Kirk's 20 years. They do again this year. And just a competent offense. Not a great offense. Just being the top 60, top 65, middle of the pack. And it's so really they, not about those numbers, John. It's really about the efficiency numbers. When you play defense the way that the Iowa's, Ohio, well, not this year, but Ohio State's, Michigan's, Wisconsin's, and Michigan State's do in our conference, then it really becomes, when you play defense like that, you're going to, one, you're going to protect that defense, number one. Number two, they're going to put you on short fields. So you're not going to get 485 or 500 yards of offense a game. Ohio State's problem right now isn't is, is that they're throwing the ball 73 times. That's the problem. They're not protecting their defense. They're and and they're not playing complementary football. So when you can play defense the way Iowa does year in and year out, you're never even when you're great when you have great offensive personnel, you're not averaging 500 yards a game because you don't have to. Okay, so it's really about offensive efficiency. What's your touchdown ratio in the red zone? What's your third down conversion percentage, particularly on seven yards or less? Because that's mostly what you're going to face. Um, what's your possession to point ratio? That's really what you're looking at is the efficiency, not so much the total yardage component. 
Yeah, and, and actually Iowa's offense this year has been rather efficient. I mean, if you look at total, you know, total offense, or at least pa- passing offense, let's go into the passing offense numbers. Um, and you talked about, what did you say, third and seven or less? Um, third and four and six, Nate Stanley's the 18th ranked passer in the country. Uh, on third down, Nate, Nate Stanley has the most passing yards on third down of anyone in the country. He's completing 68% of his passes, which is 16th in the country. He that's, has, that's how you win a lot of football yeah, games yeah. right there. He has the most 15-plus yard completions on third down of any quarterback in the country, and he has the most 25-plus yard completions of any quarterback in in the country, Iowa's third down percentage as a team, they are 11th, converting at 49%. In Big Ten games, they're 53rd, with the next nearest team is 48th. So this isn't like an offense that's going to make, you know, the old school 600-yard Texas Tech run and shoot offenses blush. But as you pointed out, it's in a very efficient offense. And oh, by the way, to go with a vastly improved punting game, to go along with the second best rushing defense in the country, the fifth best scoring defense in the country, and the third ranked total defense in the country. That's a winner. That's a winner. So um, Penn State coming up. Uh, We'll talk more about Penn State's game against Indiana in the Bigger Ten podcast that will also be out the same time this podcast drops. Uh, Before the season, and you know, after the first four games, I was really concerned about Happy Valley, and I still am. It's not going to be easy. Um, I also looks like a very powerful storm could be hitting the time this game is going off sometime this weekend with regards to rain and wind. I, I think Iowa's the better equipped game to win a rock fight. I think we just saw that play out a couple of weeks ago when Michigan State went in to Penn State and won, and they don't have near the offense, the offensive efficiency that Iowa does. What are your early thoughts? To me, I think Penn State's a more talented version of Maryland. I think they've got some great stats, but um, I, don't, I, don't, I see a collection of players. I don't see a team. And this was kind of true last year, too. I mean, there were plenty of games last year where Saquon Barkley had like 23 rushes for 59 yards. Right. Okay. They were they were kind of a feast or famine team last year, a big play team or nothing. And I think they're kind of that way this year without Mike Gusecki and without Saquon Barkley. Um, I think that defensively, they're okay. They had to replace a lot. Trace McSorley's pass efficiency numbers are way down. Um. I mean, even Pro Football Focus ran a graphic over the weekend. Well, McSorley's efficiency numbers are down, but here's what he's doing running the ball. Okay, I mean, that, again, man, we had these conversations with Nebraska and other teams. In this league, when you are already playing the Big Ten East and out of the West, you have to play Wisconsin and Iowa, you are not going to survive if your 190-pound quarterback has to run the ball 15 to 20 times, period. Won't happen. Yeah, you just you can't do it in this conference. This is not the Big Eight, or I'm sorry, the Big Twelve. This isn't the you know a group of, the group of five where Mackenzie Milton can do that for Scott Frost. Your quarterbacks will get de freaking capitated in this league if you try to make a living doing that. And the number one switch Purdue made was I loved Elijah Sindelar, but he just you know he didn't develop as much as a passer, and and they went more to David Blau. 
and he's throwing the ball all over the yard now and that has totally transformed their offensive efficiency numbers so Deshaun Hamilton did not develop this year to be the next receiver the way that they kind of thought he would a former big time recruit you know Mike Gusecki was such a major mismatch problem with his height and, and ability to get down the field they haven't come close to replacing him their offensive line is okay Miles Sanders is really good the problem I mean he's really good he's just not Saquon Barkley who's a generational talent but I mean he's He's really good, but but without uh, without an efficient passing game, the way their their running game is kind of working the same way. I mean, they had two huge runs against Michigan State, and then I think Miles Sanders had 58 yards on all the rest of his carries. So they're a big play team. If you force them to play long fields inefficiently, that's where they struggle. Uh, and I think that um, Iowa matches up very well with them. I think that this there, this isn't a, a circumstance like a couple of years ago where Iowa went in there and Penn State was desperate for the wrong time. Um, as a Michigan fan, man, I hope it's terrible weather and you make them play in a phone booth and just beat that piss out of them for four quarters because we get them next week <laughs> with us coming off a bye. So I kind of love the idea that we get Penn State when they were on the back end and where they've got to play the two most physical teams in this league back to back. So... Um, I think it's a really good matchup for Iowa, and Iowa has a style of football that travels. And and now you have a component where um, you've got those two tight ends that can shred, uh, you know, collegiate pass defenses uh, out there in space. So I think it's a really good matchup for Iowa, and I think it comes down to this: if if you don't give them three scoring plays of 30 yards or more, I believe you'll win. And if you do, you won't. Because I don't think they can play long field efficient football with you. And, and you know, let me throw this in too, John, before we get out of here. Because when people say, well, what do you mean a more talented version of Maryland? Well, you know, we're going to get into this in the Bigger Ten podcast. I've been doing these yards per play per game differential stats all year long. All right. And and Penn State's pretty much been number two to Michigan all year long in this in that stat. Well, their big game against Kent State they were plus 6.77 yards per play differential in that game, which is, I mean, you know, crazy. You'd have to go to NCAA football, put put all the sliders most in your favor and put it on the weakest uh, level to do that in a video game. That's crazy kind of numbers. And and Kent State right now, I think, is 150th in Sagarin, and there's only 130 FBS teams, so they're really bad. If you take out that Kent State game, their yards per play differential in their other six games per game drops to 1.22, which I think is sixth or seventh in the league. All right. So that's what I mean by a more talented version of Maryland. I mentioned earlier that Maryland joins Michigan as the only two teams that have three games this year where they've had three yards per play differential better than their opponents three times in the season. But when they're bad, they're really bad. And, you know, Penn State's numbers are heavily inflated by the one game against Kent State. On the other hand, Iowa's numbers are really good and against a, a, a better strength of schedule, which even includes a better than average FCS opponent. So that's what I mean by they're a more talented version of Maryland. And if Iowa forces them to go long fields, they don't have the efficiency to do it. If you give them short fields like the meltdown against Wisconsin or you have turnovers or you give up the you overrun a play and Miles Sanders gashes you, 24 points will win this game, I believe. 
And I think the only way Penn State will get to 24 points is if they do it via big plays or Iowa turnovers. And, and you know, let me throw this in too, John, before we get out of here, because when people say, well, what do you mean a more talented version of Maryland? Well, you know, we're going to get into this in the Bigger Ten podcast. I've been doing these yards per play per game differential stats all year long. All right. And, and Penn State's pretty much been number two to Michigan all year long in this in that stat. Well, their big game against Kent State, they were plus 6.77 yards per play differential in that game, which is, I mean, you know, crazy. You, you'd have to go to NCAA football, put, put all the sliders most in your favor and put it on the weakest uh, level to do that in a video game. That's crazy kind of numbers. And, and Kent state right now, I think is 150th and Sagarin and there's only 130 FBS teams. So they're really bad. If you take out that Kent state game, their yards per play differential in their other six games per game drops to 1.22, which I think is sixth or seventh in the league. All right. So that's what I mean by a more talented version of Maryland. I mentioned earlier that Maryland joins Michigan as the only two teams that have three games this year where they've had three yards per play differential better than their opponents three times in the season. But when they're bad, they're really bad. And, you know, Penn State's numbers are heavily inflated by the one game against Kent State. On the other hand, Iowa's numbers are really good and against a, a, a better strength of schedule, which even includes a better than average FCS opponent. So that's what I mean by they're a more talented version of Maryland. And if Iowa forces them to go long fields, they don't have the efficiency to do it. If you give them short fields, like the meltdown against Wisconsin, or you have turnovers, or you give up the, you overrun a play and Miles Sanders gashes you, 24 points will win this game, I believe. And I think the only way Penn State will get to 24 points is if they do it via big plays or Iowa turnovers. All right. We will talk more about that later this week. For Steve, I'm John. We'll talk to you soon.